0: Hello and welcome to Breaking Down Bad Books, a podcast analyzing trashy bestsellers from a literary perspective. And today we're looking at chapters 69, 70, 71, 72, and I think 73 of The Da Vinci Code. Yeah, let's just smash it out. Let's get through this book. Where we left off, they are leaving the country. (laughs) It took them 50 chapters to leave the Louvre. And now we're leaving France altogether. We're just accelerating at quite the pace. So they're at T-Bing's house. Lieutenant Colette dropped the ball again. He fumbled the bag. He's the worst policeman in the world. And he let them escape because they fooled him with an intercom. Oh, that's right. They fooled him via intercom. I mean, throw your policeman's license in the trash. It's useless at this point, Lieutenant Colette. So they're boarding T-Bing's private jet. And they've got Silas all tied up and they've got the Rosewood box with the cryptex inside of it. Let's go. So chapter 69 <laughs> opens, <laughs> opens saying the Hawkers see- oh, what's this? So much jargon in this chapter already. The Hawker 731's twin Garrett TFE 731 engines thundered. L- like, why do we need to know the engine of the jet? Ja- like that is, <sighs> I feel like Dan Brown's like, the more specific details I include in the book, the more realistic it'll feel. Well, it's clunky, Dan. It's clunky. I don't need to know that it's a Hawker 731 with a twin Garrett TFE 731 engine. Of course a 731 Hawker is going to have a 731 engine. It'd be ridiculous if it was a 731 Hawker with a 735 engine. I mean, what do you take me for, Dan? What do you take me for, you dickhead? All right. Um, so they're, okay. They're heading towards England. And Sophie is such an idiot because now she's like, oh, now that I'm leaving the country, I might be in a bit of trouble with the law. It says, until this moment, she had believed her game of cat and mouse with fash would somehow be justifiable to the Ministry of Defence. I was attempting to protect an innocent man. I was trying to fulfill my grandfather's dying wishes. That window of opportunity Sophie knew had just closed. And now, it was closed from the jump. When you helped the fugitive escape the Louvre and you lied to the police, you threw a GPS tracking dot out of the Louvre bathroom window. You fled the site. You pretty much assaulted a taxi driver and stole his car. Then you uh, held up a bank and then you assaulted the bank owner who helped you escape and took his van. Now you've kidnapped this person. You've taken them across international borders. And like, that's where you draw the line at the getting on the plane. Like, did she really think fash of all people would be like, oh, of course, you were just trying to help an innocent man. I get it. The judge would just be like, oh, you were trying to fulfill your grandfather's dying wishes by all means. Please leave with the court's apologies. We would have all done the same. This fucking idiot. And she's like, well, there's no going back now. But there's no going back since the Louvre, doll. So then we get a description of the plane He even tells us that it's the Fanjet executive elite design. That's the design of the interior of the plane. Like, okay, great. There's swivel chairs. There's a boardroom table. Oh, blah, blah, blah. Meanwhile, manservant Remy, he's at the back, keeping an eye on Silas with the gun pointed at Silas. Take a drink every time Remy's described as the manservant. Here's your first drink. And so then T-Bing, he's like, yeah, I know now's the perfect time. It's the perfect opportunity to open the box, try and open the cryptex. Like, let's figure out the whole mystery of the Holy Grail. But he's like, please let me say a few words. He says, before we turn our attention to the keystone, I was wondering if you would permit me a few words. Like, oh, uh, okay. Time's of the essence, but sure, make a speech. But he's just saying, I'm honoured. My whole life has been a search for the Grail, blah, blah, blah. Miss Nouveau, your grandfather gave you this cryptex in hopes you would keep the secret of the Holy Grail alive. I feel like they're very fast and loose with the whole he gave her this cryptex. Like, well, not really. He wrote, P.S. Find Robert Langdon, and she's taking that as a directive. And then he hid a key behind a painting. I mean, he could have worked with a guy called Paul Simon and he could have been like, hey, Paul Simon, my curator buddy at the Louvre, you find Robert Langdon. But no, Sophie took that to mean Princess Sophie. And from that point on, we're all just running with the idea that he's gifted her this cryptex, which he did, he did not really do. So anyway, he's saying to her that there's a lot of pressure on her. And she's also thinking, she doesn't vocalize it, but she's thinking, I'm committed now because I need to find the secrets of my family. Like I know Robert said that there's no way that I'm the great granddaughter of Jesus Christ, but I have a little suspicion that I might be. So she's willing to ride it out. And Teabing, he's saying, your grandfather and three others died tonight, wink, and they did so to keep this keystone away from the church, wink. He's like, I only just learned that, wink. And he's saying, you've not been given a choice in this matter, but you must embrace the responsibility to keep the secret alive, even though he wants to expose the secret. Uh, it's, a bit, it's a bit confusing. He says, you've been past a 2000 year old flame that cannot be allowed to go out even though that's what he wants to do. He wants to distinguish the secret by making it so widely known that it's not a secret, but I get what he's saying. He wants the the truth to remain. Uh, this teaming, I, I've got no time for him. He says, you must either fully embrace this responsibility or you must pass that responsibility to someone else. Perhaps someone on this jet right now, perhaps, perhaps someone who's devoted his whole life to studying the grail perhaps. And she goes, nah, nah, nah. My grandfather gave the cryptex to me. I, I mean, as above, did he? I'm sure he thought I could handle the responsibility. No, he, he was shot in the stomach and he was running out of options. I'm sure if he could have given it to anyone else, if there wasn't a bullet lodged up against his liver, perhaps he might've had another game plan. But she's like, oh no, I mean, he wanted me to have it. I mean, he wanted me to have it over anyone else. Like, of course I can handle it. Like, he was out of options, style. And T-Bing, he's not really convinced yet. He's like, okay, but you do understand what this brings, right? Like, just cracking the keystone will bring a far greater trial. And she's like, what do you mean? And so they just, they regurgitate what we already know. He says, well, obviously this will be a map that points to the Holy Grail. So then we've got to go and find the Holy Grail. And then we're altering history forever. You will be faced with the responsibility of revealing the truth to the world. Oh, blah, 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 blah. And Sophie goes, I don't really know if it's my decision to make. And he goes, well, if not the possessor of the keystone, then who? And she goes, I don't know, the brotherhood. And T-Bing's like, oh, the brotherhood? He says, the priory. But uh, them? But how? The brotherhood was shattered tonight. Decapitated. Wink. I mean, were they really? Like the four head honchos died, Yeah. And it's been established to us that only four people in the Priory know the actual secret of where the Holy Grail is. But I'm sure they could have some input. Tabing's like, oh, them, they're, pfft, they're nothing. I mean, they're a secret society that have members all around France and maybe other countries. Who knows? They seem to like to stick to Paris, these guys. I mean, one of them could be promoted to be the new Seneschal, the Seneschal. What are they up to? Surely they've heard by now being like, huh, Sonia's dead. Isn't that weird? Like it's hit the news. And the other three prominent Parisians, that's hit the news. So surely they're like, huh. But no, I guess they're all asleep because none of the Priory have ever thought to, you know, activate And T-Bing's just trying to discredit them. He's like, you know what? Whether they were infiltrated by some kind of eavesdropping, wink, some kind, he says. Like, you know what? You know very well what you did, T-Bing. And he says, oh, they have a spy within the ranks. We can't trust them. So, yep, we we can't trust anyone from the Brotherhood from this point on. (laughs) But we can trust you, T-Bing, sure. And Langdon's like, well, what do you want to do, T-Bing? And he says, well, the Priory has protected the truth all these years to eventually reveal it. I don't know if that's a given, but he's acting like it's a given. And Robert's like, oh, so you think now's the time? And T-Bing says, absolutely. It could not be more obvious. All the historical signs are in place. What do you... What historical signs? You can't just say something like that and gloss over it. What do you mean? So they have a little debate about what the monk Silas, what he's doing, how they hate the church. What should they do? Should they go public? Blah, blah, blah. And Sophie's like, guys, guys to quote your words, you do not find the grail. The grail finds you. I'm going to trust that the grail has found me for a reason. And when the time comes, I'll know what to do. And she goes, all right, well, let's open the fucking box. Let's go. And that's the end of the chapter. I mean, she really has taken this custodian role quite quickly, hasn't she? Oh, the grail has found you, has it, Sophie? Mm. And she says, the grail has found me for a reason. Yet yeah, the reason is T-Bing killed your granddad. Like step out of your own ass for a second, pull yourself back and look at the bigger picture here. But she's like, oh, I'm I'm born to be a Grail hunter, apparently. Let's open her up. So chapter seventy, we're picking up with Lieutenant Colette, uh, Paris's finest, and Captain Fash has now arrived at Chateau Villette. And Colette, he's like rot, rot. He's he's feeling pretty shit right now because he's screwed up yet again. And he's like, well, we're never going to be able to find this Range Rover. It could be anywhere by now. I mean, heaven forbid. It's not exactly a needle in a haystack. It's 5am on the outskirts of Paris. Just get a chopper up there and look out for a Range Rover. And it says, unfortunately, the clues they were turning up here at Chateau Vallette seemed to shed no light at all on what was going on or who was involved. What? Are they not looking at the the amount of books open on the table, pointing at the Holy Grail? See, I mean... If I was Colette and Fash, I'd walk into that grand ballroom and I'd be like, huh, there's a a photo of The Last Supper on a PowerPoint slide with an M drawn on it, and there's all these books open talking about the Holy Grail. Huh. I want, huh. Like, I mean, yeah, it's far-fetched, but you'd consider it. Curator of the Louvre dies, like his body in front of the Mona Lisa, practically, And the prime suspect has gone to this guy's house who's like an expert on Da Vinci and the Holy Grail. I'd at least be thinking, huh, there's something weird going on with Da Vinci. I'd maybe send like a cop to Milan and be like, just hang out at the Last Supper for a little bit. See what you say. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. But he's like, we've got no clues. And I was like, well, there's clues. Just open your eyes. There's your clues. So some other copper comes in and he says, where's Captain Fash? And Colette goes, oh, he's on the phone. But just then Fash walks in and he goes, I'm off the phone. Oh, <laughs> So things are tense. <laughs> I mean, that dialogue just jumps off the page, doesn't it? Oh, you can feel the tension. And this copper, he says, Central just heard from André Vernet at the Depository Bank of Zurich. He's changing his story. And Fash is like, oh, is he now? And Colette's like, "Rot ro I let that guy go. <laughs> So Vernet has said that he'll talk to Fash, but he's agreed to cooperate fully in exchange for keeping the bank's name out of the news and also wanting the police to recover stolen property that Langdon and Nouveau stole from the bank, which I feel like Vernet is asking a lot, like asking the police to keep the bank's name out of the press. Like, I, I, I guess you could at least ask you're doing your due diligence as a staff member to just ask but to be like oh and we need you to go out and retrieve the stolen item like doll that'd be evidence like do you really think it's going back into the bank vault like who are you to make demands of the DCPJ are you also going to just like bring up the fact that you helped them escape and you lied to Colette and Colette was an idiot I mean probably yeah And while this conversation's happening, Colette's like, how did they escape? He's like, I don't know how they did it. (laughs) He's flummoxed. It's like, mate, you should at least know what Vernet looks like. I don't know. If I'm Colette and I'm staking out a bank, I'd maybe ask for a shit sheet on who the staff are and get some pictures of them. So when one of them drives out pretending to be a truck driver with a Rolex watch, I'd be like, oh, you look like the CEO, you know? And Colette's now like, huh. No idea how they, no idea how they would have gotten out of the bank. He's thinking maybe they held a bank employee at gunpoint. Uh, no. And he's like, maybe they escaped in an armored truck. Nah, that doesn't seem likely. Like you saw it happen, Colette. Oh, he's so useless. And then, oh my God, guess what? Another cop. He yells out and he goes, "Captain, I've just been going through T-Bing's speed dial numbers, <laughs> and I've called the airfield. Apparently, he's got the airfield on speed dial." <laughs> Weird, right? Like, I, I don't know how policing works, but are you really going to go straight to speed dial to try and crack the case? I I guess so, because it's working. So they're talking to the airport and they're like, oh, wow, the plane left about a half an hour ago. How about that? And so Fash, he's talking to the person from the airfield being like, where are they going? And this guy's like, I don't know. They, they just took off. They didn't register a flight plan. Like, we don't have GPS on them. Like, I, I'm so sorry, but like- I don't know. And Fash, it says Fash was certain that by applying the right pressure, he could get the answers he was looking for. No, I don't think so. You can interrogate this guy from the airfield all you want, but he's still not going to know where the plane's flying to. And Fash goes, "Ugh. okay, I'm going off. I'm going to the airfield. Colette, I have no choice but to leave you in charge of the investigation here. Try to do something right for a change. (gasps) What are you? burn. And I'm just thinking Fash doesn't even know that he let Vernet go. So when Vernet meets up with Fash and he's like, oh yeah, your staff member Colette just waved me right through. Oh, there's going to be blood on the streets. Fash is going to be fucking livid. Oh God, I can't wait for that. So that was chapter 70. We go to chapter 71. And we start again with the Hawker leveling off in the air with its nose aimed for England. Like we get it. At least it doesn't go into the engine specifics, but we get it. And they're just fiddling with the fucking box. Open the box. Like, oh my God. I feel like, you know, at the end of A Masked Singer, when they're revealing who the Masked Singer is and they get the audience to chant, take it off, take it off. And it goes for like three minutes. And the celebrity in the costumes like, oh, I can't get my head off. Oh, I can't get the head off. Like, ah, oh, it's taking me forever. And they wiggle this way and they wiggle that way. And they turn to the back of the stage and they wiggle that way. And they're like, oh, I can't get it off. And everyone's like, take it off. And it just goes on and on and on. That's this. I'm like, open the box. Open the box. Look at the fucking box. Decrypt the fucking box. <sighs> and they're just dragging it out like it's the mass Singer. Okay, so <sighs> they finally unlatched the lid and open the box. And they're looking at the little rows. They get the rows out of the box somehow. And there's s- script on the rows. You know, it doesn't make sense, but it's sub-rosa, so it's a clue. So they're like, oh, this must be it. And so they're looking at this text and they're like, oh, don't know what that means. <laughs> it's just like, well, it's, it's backwards and upside down. It's the Da Vinci script. Like, I mean, I feel like everybody knows about that. I don't know if like we all know about that from the book, but like, I don't know. I feel like I've been to museums. And like, I went to one in Florence, I believe, which had a lot of Da Vinci crap. And like, there was an exhibit for kids being like, check out the way he used to write backwards and upside down, hold up a mirror and then you can read it. And everyone's like, oh, wow, cool. Like that's common knowledge. But these guys, they are stumped. They are stumped. So Robert's looking at it and he's like, Lee, I can't place the language. I just can't place it. And Sophie's like, wow. She goes, my grandfather spoke a language so obscure that even a symbologist can't identify it. And I mean, symbologists don't tend to speak millions of languages. Like what, what's that about? Are symbologists expected to know every language on earth? Are they walking Rosetta stones? Are they Duolingo? She's like, wow, I can't believe a symbologist doesn't know different languages. Like, yeah, he looks at symbols. He looks at little pretty pictures, like, unless it's hieroglyphics, I, I wouldn't expect him to know it. But also, she hasn't seen it yet. The two bloody white men, they're all just like crowding around at being like, oh, we know better than Sophie, blah, 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 but we can't figure it out. And she's just like craning her neck, being like, hey guys, can I get a squeeze? And Langdon says, my first guess is a Semitic, but now I'm not so sure. Most primary Semitics include Nekudot, this has none. And Sophie's like, what's a necodot? And I'm like, oh no, never ask Robert Langdon a question because he'll go on and on and on. And he does. He explains that it's a, a dash over a consonant, blah, blah, blah. Like he just said he can't see any of them. So it's not important, but, but, but we need to dedicate a whole paragraph to a necodot. And Langdon's like, can't figure it out. And so t like, well, let me see. So, so. And T-Bing's like, nah, can't place it. T-Bing. Da Vinci expert T-Bing. Like, I'm sorry. This fucker has got books and books and books on Da Vinci. He might not be a Da Vinci expert, but he's got fucking books of it. Books. He knew the cryptex on site. Remember that? Remember how Robert didn't know what a cryptex was, even though he's like studied Da Vinci as well? Like he's gone to prisons to teach inmates how Da Vinci drew himself in drag as the Mona Lisa, but he doesn't recognize a cryptex. And I was like, that's weird. But T-Bing, he recognized it immediately. Now, With the Da Vinci script, he's got no freaking clue. He's stumped. In what world do you know immediately what a cryptex is, but you don't know this backwards upside down writing? Like, think outside the box, guys. Open up your brain. And he says, this language looks like nothing I've ever seen. And they're like, what are we going to do? And Sophie's like, could I just jump in and have a look? And it says "Tabing pretended not to hear her. I mean, red flag number 58. Do not trust this man. And Tabin's like, Robert, you said you thought you'd seen something like this before. And he's like, I thought I did. It looks familiar somehow. Like, yeah, so it should. So it should. It's English. It's English. Just flipped over and put your thing down, flipped it and reversed it. And so then Sophie's like, guys, may I have a look at the box my grandfather made? And they're like, ugh. And Tabing's like, yeah, of course, dear, that condescending little prick. He's like, yeah, have at it, doll. I'm sure you'll be able to figure it out. And she looks at it and she goes, oh, yeah, obvious. I should have guessed. Again, because she's the Da Vinci expert now. I feel like they take turns at who's the expert. And, like, yeah, why wouldn't they just let her have a look? Like, she also knew what a Cryptex was immediately. She lived with the guy who made the box. Like, there's your first big point. I mean, she tried to make it and they sort of fobbed her off. But, like, yeah, let her have a look at the box. And she's like, I should have guessed. Yep, this would be the language he would use. She's been hanging around with Langdon too much because she's doing that thing where she doesn't give a straight answer. She's like, yep, I should have known. And they're like, well, what is it? She's like, yeah, of course. Of course, I recognize it immediately. And they're like, okay, well, tell us. And she's like, that's my granddad. (laughs) If he wasn't banging girls in the basement wearing a face mask, then he'd be doing this. (laughs) Oh, classic. And they're like, okay, but are you saying you can read it? And she's like, oh, yeah, easily my granddad taught me this language when I was six years old. And they're like, so what's it say? And she's like, oh, oh, I'm fluent. All right. And they're like, okay, tell us. And she's like, oh, oh, I should have known. And they're like, okay, okay. And she goes, well, you know what? I'm surprised you guys didn't even recognize it. And she even throws a little dig at Teabing because it's English. She goes, considering your allegiance to the crown, I'm a little surprised you didn't recognize it. And that's when Langdon's like, oh, I don't need her to tell me. He's like, you're dragging out the reveal, Soph. I'm just going to come to the conclusion myself. And he's like, of course. He goes, of course. No wonder the script looks so damn familiar. And then we get a flashback. Oh my God. You could have just easily said, oh yeah, Da Vinci used to write upside down and reverse, like as a little code. Like, oh yeah, I remember that. No, we need to know the reason he remembers it. Oh, kill me. Several years ago, several, oh. Langdon had attended an event at Harvard's Fogg Museum. Bill Gates had returned a priceless acquisition from some sort of museum, blah, blah, blah. 18 sheets of paper he'd purchased at an auction. The winning bid was a cool 30.8 million. Like, I don't care. The author of the pages, Leonardo da Vinci. Okay, and so here, Dan Brown's doing a lot of dash work. You know what I mean? Like, when you don't have a good handle on grammar, you sort of just, you type and you do a dash and you finish the sentence, and then you start a new sentence, and you do a dash, and you finish it. Like, you could use a comma, or a full stop, or, or a, you know, a word. Like, I expect that in an email. I'm a, I'm a fan of a dash in an email, or an Instagram caption, or just jotting down a grocery list, but this is a book. A book. And he's, he's given us dashes. So, we have get, he returned to the museum, one of his priceless acquisitions, dash. 18 sheets of paper, blah, blah, blah. His winning bid, dash, a cool 30.8 million. The author of the pages, dash, Leonardo da Vinci. Like, what, 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 what rhythm are you trying to get here? Just use the fucking comma, a semicolon even. A colon even? I don't even know what I'm saying. Just use, use something that's not a dash, you lazy piece of shit, Dan Brown. The 18 folios, dash, now known as Leonardo's Codex Leicester were all that remained of his notebooks, essays, and drawings. Blah blah blah. All the drawings that apparently Robert Langdon has never seen before because he didn't recognize the cryptex, but now it goes, Langdon would never forget his reaction after waiting in line and finally viewing the priceless parchment. He had to wait in line to view the priceless parchment. Can we not get a photo? Can we not whack a photo up on the Harvard website? Like Jesus Ways. He could not forget his reaction After seeing the pages and then realizing that they were written in English upside down and reversed. He would never forget it. And yet he has forgotten it. That's what's so annoying about Dan Brown. Oh, he would have never forgotten that. And yet he forgot it. And he said earlier, this looks like nothing I've ever seen before. And yet he'd seen it before. And no wonder the line to look at these pages was so long because Langdon's just standing there being like, what is it? He's like, it's not Italian. I can't read a word. Is, is that a NECU dot? No, it's not a NECU dot. And then finally, like the person who works at the museum was like, Hey mate, um, there's a mirror affixed to the display on the chain. Try it. Like, did he just, did he just assume like that mirror was there for, I don't know, reflection like, in case someone wanted to check their lippy or their hair? Like, wh- why would a museum attach a mirror to a chain to the exhibit? Like, wh- wh- for what purpose, Lane? And open your eyes and look around you and use the fucking mirror. And he's like, what? And so he picks up the mirror and then he looks at the text in the mirror and, oh, instantly he realizes it was upside down and reversed. Like, Jace Louise, this stupid Harvard educated idiot. <sighs> So, yeah, no wonder the line was long because everyone was probably waiting behind him being like, dude, can you get to step and move it along? Like, who's hogging up the folios? This is why you need to take a photo of it and put it on the website, Harvard. Oh, the whole thing angers me. I assume it never actually happened. I'm hoping Dan Brown made this up because, Jay's the ways. I want to write a letter to this fog museum and be like, mate, let me tell you how to put on an exhibit because this is redonkulous. And then it says, Langdon had been so eager to peruse some of the great thinker's ideas that he had forgotten one of the man's numerous artistic talents was an ability to write in a myriad script that was virtually illegible to anyone other than himself. So he did already know it because he'd forgotten it. So he knew it at one point. So it's common knowledge, and yet he's forgotten, but now he'll never forget. And yet he did forget. So Langdon's finally figured it out, and Sophie's like, ah, I see you've got it. Well, she smiles inwardly to see that Robert understood her meaning. So, she just, she, so she's not smiling then. What's an inward smile? And she goes, yeah, I can read a few words. It's in English. And Tabing's like, what's going on? Like, cause no one's explained it to Tabing, which is hilarious. And Langdon says, it's reverse text. We need a mirror. Stat. And Sophie goes, no, we don't. Okay. Just, just let him get a mirror. (laughs) I'm sure there's a mirror on the plane. She goes, no, we don't. I bet this veneer is thin enough. So she lifts up the piece of paper to the wall. Is it paper? I thought it was on a, uh, uh, carved into a box. I don't really care, but, uh. oh, I know it is. It is carved into wood. And she moves the lid closer to the lid of the box, closer to the light. And she's like, yep, I can see through it, through the layer of wood. Well, how thin is this layer of wood if she's looking through the layer of wood? I don't care, but she's like, oh, oh, I don't want to find a mirror. That'll waste precious seconds just going to the airport bathroom where there'd be a mirror. No, let's not do that. Let's hold it up to the light and try and squint through this piece of wood like it's see-through. What the fuck? And then finally teabing, he's like, oh, it's English, my native tongue. <laughs> he's, he's losing his fucking mind. He is losing it. He's like, oh, I never would have thought. And then for the last paragraph of the chapter, we cut to Remy, the manservant, take a drink. He's just sitting there being like, oh, la-da-dee, la-da-da. He can't hear what they're saying because the engines are too loud. I don't know if that's how planes work. Like, yeah, plane engines are loud. But whenever I've been on a plane, as soon as some fucker's talking or a baby's crying, I hear it. I hear it. But Remy, he can't hear a thing. And he just thinks like, oh, I don't like how this night is progressing. And that's it. And that's, that's the end of the chapter. What a buzzkill to end on. Like, we get the great reveal that Da Vinci could ride upside down. And then we cut to Remy, the manservant for his little insights. Like, oh, great. I'm I'm on the hook. I can't wait for the next chapter. And the next chapter, chapter 72, is just that same scene. We're with Robert again. But because it's a new chapter, we need to establish that they're on a plane. The start of every chapter <laughs> needs to establish that they're flying. So it says 15,000 feet in the air. Robert felt the physical world fade away as all his thoughts converged on Sonia's mirror image poem. And they're just reading it through the lid of the box. <sighs> okay. And so Sophie finds some paper and copies it down. She couldn't find the time to find a mirror, but she finds some paper and she writes it down and then they read it. Like you just told me you could read it holding it up to the light, but who cares? So she wrote it on a piece of paper and it's like some sort of archeological crossword. What? I don't, I don't know how just words written down on a piece of paper is archeological all of a sudden. It says an ancient word of wisdom frees this scroll and helps us keep her scattered family whole. A headstone praised by Templars is the key and at bash will reveal the truth to thee. And Langdon's like, holy shit, it's iambic pentameter. You know, the meter that Shakespeare wrote in. We get a whole bloody history session on iambic pentameter, which I'm just going to skip over. If you're that interested, read the book, but I suggest you don't. But Langdon's trying to make this connection, being that iambic pentameter is like a yin and yang, like really reflective of the sacred feminine. Stop it. (laughs) Stop. I'm a feminist. I am. But I really don't think everything relates to the sacred feminine. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm t-bing. Even though he just said, oh, it's my native tongue. I recognize the language as English perfectly. Now that it's written on a piece of paper, he's like, oh, it's pentameter. And the verse is in English. La lingua pura. Like, oh, fuck me. I thought you already knew it was in English, mate. Like, and Langdon's like, yeah. And then we get a history lesson about how. Secret societies used to write in English all the time. (laughs) Okay, this feels like shenanigans to me. Dan Brown shenanigans. They're like, of course, English was considered the only pure language for centuries. What? Unlike French, Spanish, and Italian, which were rooted in Latin, the tongue of the Vatican, English was linguistically removed from Rome's propaganda machine, and therefore it became the secret, sacred tongue for those brotherhoods educated enough to learn it. Or Dan Brown just couldn't be bothered to translate. That's my suspicion. I think Dan Brown just had a plot hole about like why Da Vinci and Sonia and all of these non-English speakers were speaking English. He just came up with this being like, oh, it's the, it's the secret language of secret societies, English. (laughs) Okay. I'll let that one slide, Dan. And T-Bing says, this poem, it not only references the Grail, but the Knights Templar and the scattered family of Mary Magdalene. What more could we ask for? And Sophie, who's just whip smart, she's just so quick with a quip. She goes, the password. (laughs) Such a great clap back. What more could we ask for? The password. (laughs) I mean, it's just, oh, it's so funny. Uh, And so Langdon's like, hmm, it's a word of five letters. Hmm, what could it be? And Sophie goes, the password appears to have something to do with the Templars. I mean, is there a Nobel Prize for cryptography because she's cracked it? Oh, the password has something to do with the Knights Templar and the Priory of Sion and the Holy Grail. Yeah, no shit, dull. No shit. And t like, well, Lee, I mean, you're the Templar specialist. Like, wh- what do you reckon? And he's like, yeah, it's pointing towards some sort of headstone or something. And they're like, yeah, obviously, like, that's what it says. But yeah, OK. And Sophie goes, the last line says that at bash will reveal the truth. I've heard that word at bash. Now, she's she's stumped. She's pondering. And Langdon goes, um, you probably heard it in Cryptology 101. OK, I know she's a cryptologist or a cryptographer or whatever the hell they call it at the DPJ, but do they really have a class called Cryptology 101? Is that an actual subject you can learn at like Paris U? And Langdon says the Atbash cipher is one of the oldest codes known to man. And Sophie goes, of course, the famous Hebrew encoding system, the Atbash cipher. It had indeed been a part of Sophie's early cryptography training. (laughs) And yet she forgot all about it. See, the way they just like trade roles on who knows what, when all of them should know it, why does a Da Vinci specialist not recognize the language? I don't know. Why does a cryptologist not recognize the word atbash? I don't know. Because they're all dumb. Or they have to pretend to play dumb so that Dan Brown can explain it through dialogue or flashbacks. And T-Bing's like, ah, oh, atbash, of course. He even knows about atbash. He goes, oh, atbash, yes. Text encrypted with atbash is found throughout the Kabbalah, the Dead Sea Scrolls, even the Old Testament, blah, blah, blah the Priory certainly would include Atbash as part of their teachings. So everyone knows about Atbash. We're all on the same page about Atbash. But to apply the Atbash cipher, they need the code. And so they assume there must be a code word on a headstone. So they need to find the headstone praised by Templars. And then they're all stumped again. And Sophie's like, ah, Atbash is the key, but we don't have a door. And then after 3 minutes of silence T like well I'm stumped. He goes let me ponder this while I get us some nibblies and check on Remy and our guest. Um nibblies? <laughs> I'm sorry. There's your 59th red flag. What grown man says that he's going to go out and get some nibblies? I mean yeah it's endearing if you know the guy and they're quite charming but th- he's clearly a giant creep that's killed people. Nothing more psychotic than a rich old white man saying nibblies. Nah, nah. See, my mum can say it when it's a public holiday and she's sitting down and it's 3pm and she goes, I might have some nibblies. I mean, that's fine. I'm fine with that. But this old rich bastard getting nibblies? I don't think. Also, where, do, where are these nibblies coming from? You summoned the plane in the middle of the night. You didn't pack a lunch. The pilot only got a 20 minute head start before he had to get the plane going. So, where, where are these nibblies coming from? Are they just like, pantry items that keep? What are you going to whip out a tin of sardines? Like where, where are these nibblies coming from? What are the nibblies? Oh, that's the mystery we need solved. The mystery of the nibblies. And Sophie, she's flagging that she thinks this poem before them might contain information that they still had not seen. She goes, there is more there, ingeniously hidden, but present nonetheless. And she's thinking about what it might be. And she's thinking about how she had solved enough of her grandfather's treasure hunts to know that Jacques Saunier did not give up his secrets easily, and that's the end of the chapter. And I'm thinking, like, yeah, like you've already decoded some of his clues tonight, and they were all anagrams. Madonna of the Rocks was an anagram. The Mona Lisa was an anagram. Everything's been an anagram. The the key for the bank vault was an anagram. Everything's been an anagram, and yet they're sitting here reading this poem, and they're like, huh. Not even, not even considering that it's an anagram. Like as soon as I read atbash, I was like, surely that's an anagram. And I'm like, what is it? It could be the Sabbath, Sabbath. It could be an anagram of Sabbath. Like I don't know. I'm thinking, my cogs are turning, but they're stumped and getting nibblies. Like ugh, think outside the box for one second. Like history repeating itself. There's a pattern here. Like even if it doesn't end up being an anagram, just just think about it, doll. Think about it. Okay, so we go to chapter seventy three. And we're back on land with the air traffic controller for the airfield. It says the airfield's night shift air traffic controller had been dozing before a blank radar screen when the captain of the judicial police practically broke down his door. If you're on night shift, you shouldn't be that tired because you should be sleeping through the day. So if you're at work, wake the fuck up, especially if you've already had a convo with the police 20 minutes earlier and someone's. Left your airfield without lodging a flight plan. It's kind of the most exciting night of your life, and yet they're, do- they're dozing? I'm sorry, Papa no dose. Get, get the kettle on and pour yourself a coffee and wake the fuck up and work. And Fash says, T Bing's jet, where did it go? <laughs> I love how he's calling him T Bing. He, like, he's already up to date on the, on the nickname, how we refer to this character. I would have said, Lee T jet, but no, nah, not Fash. And the controller's like, I don't know. Like, I don't know. And Fash goes, well, I'm placing you under arrest for permitting a private plane to take off without registering a flight plan. Again, I don't really know if this flight controller had much say in the matter, but this guy, he's now feeling a surge of terror because he's thinking back in all the newspaper articles he's seen (laughs) written about Bezu Fash. (sighs) I mean, the most famous guy in Paris is Bezu Fash. Who knew? And he goes, look, all right, all right, all right. I'll tell you this much. Sir Lee makes frequent trips to London for medical treatments. He has a hangar at Biggin Hill Executive Airport in Kent, on the outskirts of London. <laughs> he's, he could have just said, you know, the name of the airport, but he's like, it's in Kent, on the outskirts of London. You just take the, the Jubilee line on the train, <laughs> get off at Foster's Station in a <laughs> changeover get on the regional train out to Kent and they, there it is, obviously. And I would have been stoked with all that extra information. I would have been like, oh, great. Now I don't have to go and research it for myself. But Fash, he pushes it and he's like, is Biggin Hill his destination tonight? And he's like, I don't know. You know very well that they didn't register a flight plan. Like you just tried to arrest me for that fact. How the hell do I know? But yeah, the plane's going in that direction. And Fash is like, well, who else was on the plane? And he's like, I do not know. I mean, he was clearly asleep when it happened, right? This lazy bones was clearly nodding off at his desk. And Fash says, well, if they are going a big hill, how long until they land? He doesn't know. <sighs> what is this interrogation? Ah, <sighs> <sighs> And the controller, he's like, I don't know. It's a short flight. I mean, he could be there by now. I mean, he could be there in 15 minutes from now. I'm not on the plane. Planes go different speeds. (sighs) And Fash is like, ugh. So then (laughs) Fash turns to his men and he says, Get a transport up here. Get a transport up here. What the hell does that mean? I'm going to London and get me the Kent local police, not British MI5. I want this quiet. I want the local Kent police. So many demands from Fash. I didn't know he could make directives of what police. Are called to a crime in England. He says, Tell the Kent local police that I want that plane to be permitted to land and then I want them surrounded on the tarmac and nobody deplanes until I get there. Okay, but the Kent local police could just be like, Nah? <laughs> or the Kent local police could be like, Oh, are you saying there's an international fugitive on a plane? I'm just going to call up MI5 real quick. No, they're just going to listen to Bezu Fash. Bezu Fash of all people, I'd be like, you don't fucking, you're not my boss, Bezu Fash. If I was the Kent local police, I'd say, nah, I'd say, nah, this is a job for MI5. If I'm the Kent local police, I'm I'm calling in sick. That's ridiculous. You don't talk to me like that. I'm the Kent local police. Who are you, Bezu Fash? In the tabloids of Paris all the time with people talking about whether you're a monster or not? With your famous battles with the American embassy? I'm not getting involved with you. That's what I'd say. Anyway, that's the end of the chapter. Oh God, I'm all worked up over Bezu Fash just thinking he owns the world. Ugh, what an asshole. So um, yeah, well, I'll see you guys next week for, I've just, just glanced over to the next chapter <laughs> and it's the start of a chapter. So we've got to establish that they're on the plane. <laughs> so it says Langdon gazing across the hawker's cabinet, Sophie said, you're quiet. <laughs> I mean, come on. We know he's on a plane. He's going to be on a plane for the next 10 chapters. Uh, Any thoughts, questions, theories, concerns? Let me know. Very excited this week. We've got a bonus episode on the Patreon feed for 365 days. The next 365 days, the film. (laughs) Very confusing. I do get into the titles. And then on Friday, we've got episode one of Fifty Shades Freed. Yeah, baby. I'm biting my lip in anticipation and my inner goddess is doing backflips. <laughs> God, I hate that book. For that, just go to patreon.com slash bad books and sign up. It's $3 a month, new episodes every Friday. And I'll see you next week. Bye. Send your burning thoughts, frustrations and grievances on this latest chapter of this shitty book to breakingdownpod at gmail.com or on Twitter at podbreakingdown and Instagram at breakingdownbadbooks.